Welcome to The Buzz, I'm Christopher Conover. It seems everywhere you look, there are help-wanted signs, but at the same time, unemployment in Arizona is the lowest it's been in more than a decade. This week, we look at the future of the workforce. Those two statistics seem to be at odds. Everyone hiring, but very low unemployment. What's going on? Next week, community leaders will gather at the University of Arizona to discuss just that at the Future of the Workforce conference. To start our discussion on the future of the workforce, we turn to the MAP dashboard. It's an annual look at data on the Tucson area economy put together by the Eller College of Management at the University of Arizona. Jennifer Pullen is an economist at Eller and one of the speakers at the conference. She began our discussion by explaining what the data tells us. So we know that Tucson lost 45,000 jobs between February and April of 2020 due to the pandemic. As of February 2022, only 87% of those jobs have been replaced in Tucson. That's lower than the national rate, which is around 90% of jobs, and well below the state rate, which has replaced all the jobs lost during the pandemic, plus added more. And so we see that quits are also up. We know that um, in, let's see, January of 2022, we had 104,000 people in Arizona quit their job. And in at the same time, we've seen hiring skyrocket. So that same month, January of 2022, in the state of Arizona, 241,000 open jobs. So we're seeing this mix of a really high quit rate coupled with a really high hiring rate. And so this is just like, seeing kind of a churn within the labor market that we typically see, but we're seeing it at a higher rate, right? There's more individuals quitting, a lot more high, a lot more hirings out there. And so we're seeing like a really kind of strong labor market, but more people looking for jobs, kind of maybe taking their time to look for that perfect job or that perfect industry that they want to work in. You said this is sort of a normal trend. Um, of course, the numbers are higher. But is this a short-term trend, a long-term trend? What, what's the future look like on this? Yeah, this is a normal trend for a, for a tight labor market, right? When we have low unemployment and we have high employment to population ratios, we tend to see this churn within the labor market. As for the trend, I mean, we're, not, we're, we're really kind of assessing, and that's what this meeting is going to be discussing, is what's going on with the actual labor force participation rate, because we do see a tight labor market. We see very low unemployment rates, 3.6% in Tucson, same for the state. That's better than the national rate, which was 3.8% in February of 2022. We see employment to population ratios that have basically gone back to pre-pandemic levels, but we don't see that kind of same trend happening with the labor force participation rate. And so while low unemployment rates, high employment to population ratios suggest a really tight labor market, our labor force participation rate is actually still pretty low relative to our pre-pandemic levels. And so we're asking kind of these questions is what's going on with our labor force? Why is our labor force participation rate not increasing yet? And so that's a big question, I think, moving forward um, into the rest of 2022 is what's going to happen with the labor force. Are we going to start to see those individuals come back statewide like we are nationally or are they going to continue to stay out of the out of labor force? 
Before we go much further, let's get a couple of definitions. The unemployment rate versus the labor force participation rate. It seems like those two numbers could be a little bit at odds, so let's define them. So the labor force participation rate is the number of individuals that are in, that are employed and not employed but seeking employment in the labor force divided by the population. And so typically you're getting a labor force participation rate for the 16 plus population. And so that would be looking at the percent of the population that's 16 plus non-institutionalized population. And so then the unemployment rate, right, is the number of individuals that are actively seeking jobs, right? So this is the number of individuals who are searching for jobs over the population. We talked about the number of people quitting, that quit data, as you called it, is up. What about people who are permanently quitting? We'll call it retirement. Right. So that quit data that I mentioned where we saw 104,000 people in Arizona quit their job in January of 2022, that does not include retirements. And we do have retirement data. The St. Louis Federal Reserve Bank reports retirement data, and they show that it is significantly down nationally. And that may be one factor in why we're seeing such a tight labor market with low unemployment rates and high employment to population ratios, but we're not seeing that labor force participation rate increase. And that may be due in part to retirements. There are other factors as well. Um, international international migration is down, um, as well as um, bank accounts are up. So people may be taking more time leaving the labor market, taking more time to think about what their options are. Um, and we also know that during the pandemic, individuals left to take care of their children. Um, nationally, that is increasing, that those individuals are coming back to the labor market now. But we're not quite sure if that's the case for Arizona. I was looking at the map dashboard before you and I sat down, and there is a ton of data on all kinds of different things on that dashboard. And I saw one of the things that you'd written about was the housing market, which I guess plays into labor and the future of work. What does the Tucson housing market look like? Again, we keep hearing about, even in Tucson's a house in the foothills, went for a million over asking. Obviously not a house I'm buying, but that the market for the seller is very hot. What's the market looking like? We have a couple articles that we've recently published on the MAP dashboard about the Tucson housing market. We saw substantial increases in 2021. We also saw substantial increases in 2020. Uh, in 2020, we're looking at 13%. In 2020, about over 20% in um, 2021. And that's really primarily being driven by inventory is so tight. There's no houses on the market. And we're also, you know, we talk a little bit antidotally about the remote worker situation and individuals moving here from California and from other states um, where home prices are more expensive. And they have a lot of cash. They have a lot of equity build up in their homes from there. And they're able to come to Tucson's market with cash and buy homes. Um, and that's really helping to drive up the prices in our in the Tucson region. And in, really, is, as long as inventory stays tight, there's no reason to, to suspect that, that, price, that those prices are going to start to decline. Is there an affordability issue based on median or average wage in the Tucson metro area or southern Arizona versus what's going on with the housing market? Yeah, we also track housing affordability on the MAP dashboard. And so Tucson actually, it still remains one of the most affordable places to buy a home for 
for someone earning the median family income. And so that median family income in Tucson, it's a little bit higher than just an individual income, but 64.4% of the homes sold in 2021 were affordable to someone earning that median family income. That place Tucson second relative to those peer communities that we tracked on the MAP dashboard, only behind Albuquerque, it was a significant drop from 2020 though. So almost a 10, it was a 10 percentage point drop, whereas in 2020, 74% of homes were affordable. And now in 2021, because of those significant increases in home prices, we've seen that at 64%. And if wages had kept pace with the increase in home prices, then we wouldn't have seen such a large drop. But wages have not increased at the same rate as um, as home prices. Actually, in 2021, we just updated that data on the MAP dashboard. The median occupational wage in Tucson declined by nearly 2% in, in the Tucson metropolitan area between 2020 and 2021, while nationally it rose by 9.1%. So if that trend continues, then we will, and home prices continue to rise, we'll, we will continue to see declining affordability. You mentioned that in Tucson, wages went down while nationally they went up. Is there anything you're seeing that is contributing to that, or is that just something that's happening in Tucson? Well, that is a little bit of the industrial mix in Tucson, and we've, we have just, this data just came out uh, a week ago, so we're really starting to dig into that data now. We have seen substantial declines in, in particular occupations within Tucson, and one occupation in, in particular, which, is the, which was the highest paying occupation management, declined by nearly 20,000. The median wage declined by nearly 20,000 between 2020 and 2021, so that's a substantial um, a substantial decline with, with within a very high paying occupation. Now in Tucson, actually engineering, architecture and engineering is now the highest paying occupation at uh, just $94,000 is that median for that particular occupation. So it is some, some to do with the industrial mix within Tucson and then kind of what's going on within, within those particular um, industries. That was Jennifer Pullen, an economist with the Eller College of Management at the University of Arizona. During the height of the pandemic, we heard about the struggles of healthcare workers, long hours, stress, and burnout. Alex Horvath is a senior vice president and chief HR officer at Tucson Medical Center. He joined us to talk about the future of work. We know that employees' expectations are rapidly evolving in terms of what work looks like. And because of that, we are seeing all age groups within the workforce um, having different ways in which they will satisfy their needs. And part of this is the accelerated by generations because of COVID. And because of how our entire our entire country has been impacted by that, so I think all goals for individuals, whether they were personal goals, whether they're safety goals, security goals, financial goals, uh, were all changed by COVID. So we have seen the future of workforce being have evolved to different types of jobs. The potential of work, obviously, we know at home, remote, hybrid being a little bit of both. 
the opportunity for people to kind of create their own roles, individuals that participate kind of in the hub that say, hey, I've got a talent, here is the job, I'm bringing my talent, you've got the job, I'll take the pay, I'll let you know when I'm gonna work again. And that used to be more contract work, but it is evolving into another sector that is interesting to a lot of people. We're also finding that motivation is different. We're finding individuals that want um, to have the opportunity to pursue a better work situation more important than ever. So people who wanna say, you know, I used to settle. I'm not settling anymore. The opportunity now is that I have to have a couple of things in my role for it to be meaningful work is one of them now. I'm not, I can count widgets. I want to count widgets of a certain color or whatever it is, Christopher. So that we're seeing it evolving. You're at TMC, which obviously is, is a hospital. And what most people think of the employees of the hospital, they really can't do remotely. Doctors, nurses, lab techs, you know, all the medical support. Obviously, there's an administrative side that maybe you could do remotely. But that core work of a hospital, everybody who supports that in jobs we didn't just mention, everything from housekeeping even, can't be done remotely, but very important to the operation. So how does the medical community adapt to all those changes you were just talking about? There is a 30% of the workforce that is information systems and other support. So th those are occurring and there's remote work and all that. But for the lion's share, as you say, of the workers that are serving the public, the healthcare employees, I think at this juncture are looking at um, more of the of what they value in the role, such as work-life balance, flexibility, um, because the market has changed and there's scarcity of workers in every industry, including healthcare, uh, individuals are finding that um, their ability to say, um, you know, that that weekend role uh, on Friday, Saturday, and Sundays, because I have a family and my spouse work is what I can and will do. So carving out those roles that can better support individuals in their walks of life are extremely important. I think that also many organizations, including healthcare though, are vulnerable to, um, if we don't have the flexibility, if we don't listen, if we don't aren't creative, if we don't have everybody um, collectively put their um, thoughts together to come up with that future state of the workforce, we're gonna lose people. How hard is it to convince older employees, maybe in leadership positions and management, employees like myself who, who have some gray hair, who are in management positions, that this is where we're going and this isn't new employees being lazy or, or whatever word you want to throw around, but this is the way things are going and, and those of us who are older need to rethink are thinking. There is a large number of individuals that are employed, you know, here and everywhere um, that they are really unwilling um, to uh, even opt for any of these new goals. And, um, and, and part of it is change is hard. We all know change is hard and a lot of great books, research done on that. 
Um, and sometimes there's some willingness to trade, but it has to be trade where it seems to be of equal value or of at least value that's close um, their current um, perspective, current role, current way to do things. And perhaps they would never call it an upgrade of their work or their lives, or but it's a change they're willing to work with because it benefits more. It benefits the, the greater good. It is something that is gonna serve uh, su sustainability you know, for the future. So we've used an analogy of the trading with people and it's been effective from the standpoint that you know what's in it for me what 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 will i also get because you know it's hard when you've given your life to work or 10 20 30 40 50 years of work and somebody asks you well the whole world's changing look at left behind well i am the world what are you talking about you know does education be it in the medical field for for so many of your workers or for industry, whatever the industry is, in general need to change, especially as we come out of the pandemic and people are rethinking all these things you and I have been talking about? Well, I really think that we double down on the efforts that provide people the skills that allow them flexibility because we're seeing, because of the pandemic and the flexibility that organizations were instantly able to provide to many workers, and workers saying, scratching their head and saying, well, yikes, that really worked well for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's been no daycare payments in our life for, for months and, and all, you know, for many reasons. So as long as there is that ability to provide flexibility through that education, the good news is promoting that flexibility, that education that allows it for people. We have heard from multiple people that remote classes that have been around forever are great, but can they be tightened up so I can achieve my certification, my degree, my next level in a shorter period of time? Because um, there has been such evolution in a short period of time, I don't know if I'm really willing to put in four years you know, for that. Um, so that's come into the picture. And I can honestly say two years ago, nobody was challenging the time investment from an educational standpoint because it was just a given. But it's, it's out there. It's evolving. That was Alex Horvath with the Tucson Medical Center. He'll also be a participant in the Future of the Workforce discussion next week. You're listening to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. The future of the workforce begins not at the front door of a business, but in the classroom. Pima Community College Chancellor Dr. Lee Lambert just got back from the annual meeting of the National Association of Workforce Boards in Washington, D.C. He says after the meeting, one thing was clear. People can't find the talent. And so, so, so one of the issues is how does our workforce system help to facilitate and address that challenge that's before us? And a big part of it is uh, we need to rethink our policy structures to allow uh, workforce boards to be more responsive and, and to make sure we're providing the, the skills that people need to be successful. Uh, the current system isn't designed to be as proactive and as predictive that we probably need. So we need to start to rethink the, the model. 
what are some of the things that Pima Community College can do to rethink that model as really the workforce has changed over the last two years so rapidly? One of the big things is creating better on-ramps for, for the working uh, adult or the working learner. So that way they can, they can come and get skilled and continue to, to earn while they're learning. People, it's not easy to stop out for a, a year, two years, three years, four years and go get your education and go back to work. So how can we make it easier for you to come in and acquire key skills that allow you to continue to do you know, that earn and learn kind of thing? And that's what we're doing with what we call Pima Fast Tracks. And, and these are micro pathways that are based on a T profile uh, design. And, uh, and we work closely with employers around uh, that, that approach. In your background, you have the Automotive Technology and Innovation Center. I got a chance to tour it uh, with you. I guess it was earlier this year. That's correct. An amazing facility, also the cleanest garage floor I have ever seen. But is that part of that fast track or is that a longer uh, system you're looking at? So we have a fast track that is aligned with the Automotive uh, Innovation Center and so that's one facet of, of this overall center of excellence concept. So through the center of excellence, you can come in on a Pima fast track and work your way up. And if you want to go all the way to a degree, great. If not, you want to stop short at a longer term certificate or a shorter term certificate or a Pima fast track, you will have the ability to do all of the above. I remember in that center, there was a lot of computer work, as is in my car and so many newer cars. And a lot of what you're fast tracking, if I understand, are computers, not just in the automotive world, but programming and all kinds of things like that. That's correct. So, you know, there's a reality, right? Industry 4.0 is really redefining the landscape across all sectors of the economy. So folks have to have the ability to, to work in that digital enhanced environment. We need to make sure that's not only happening in automotive, but throughout all of our programs. And yes, we have an IT cybersecurity program, and we will have a, a Pima Fast Track there. So the, the real question is in the Fast Track, just uh, so you're aware of this, we sit down with the employer and say, what's the least amount of skill that a person would need to acquire in which you would find them employable into an entry-level opportunity? So, so we try to break it down to the lead, you know, that lowest common denominator that gives them assurances you got someone who's capable and they want to invest in their growth and development. How often do you hear from employers that say, hey, this program you're working is really good, but it was good two years ago and things have changed. So how often do you have to change your programs to keep up with employers? So we're in continuous conversations with our employers. So I'll say that one. Uh, one of the ways we do that is we have advisory committees for all of these different areas. So we're constantly interacting and getting feedback and then obviously you're getting feedback in in informal context as well. And but but remember what one employer might need may be slightly different than another. So we have to look at okay we can't always cater to a specific area of need. What we try to do is get to a 75 to 80 percent solution, and then get that person to where it that would work for most of the employers, and then they can take up the rest of the pieces that they may need. Because otherwise, it makes it very difficult. You know, we don't have a lot of Raytheons in in Pima County, right? Where where you can dedicate a whole cohort 
to them. So a lot of our small mediums, how do we, uh, you know, aggregate that so we can uh, do it in a responsible, sustainable and effective ways. When I was of the age to be going to, to college, which was admittedly a long time ago now, community colleges were a stepping stone into the four-year universities. You and I are talking about all this job training. Is the role of the community college training or still those stepping stones if somebody wants to go to a four-year university but academically isn't ready, financially isn't ready? Is that still a large core of your mission? Because we're community colleges are typically comprehensive institutions, which means they do the academic transfer that you're talking about, do this workforce piece that we've been talking about, also doing some other components as well. So yes, we do that that transfer piece that's very important. But what I always tell people at the end of the day, it's all workforce development, right? If we if we step back, most of us have to go and get a job. And so we need the skills that are going to get us there. And so we need to make sure those transfer programs are, are leading to the kinds of skills I need. So when I get that bachelor's degree or I go on the master's degree or doctorate degree, I have the skills that help me to be employable in a good career. The workforce right now is an interesting place, as we've talked about such a transition, especially over the last two years with the pandemic. What are you hearing from your students? Again, you're going to see a, a wide range, right? So you, so you have some students who will say, well, what you're doing, I can just go and do that off of YouTube. <laughs> so, so you get some of those students and you get some other students who really, they just need greater guidance from us. So, you know, what we're trying to do is make sure that we are aligned with where the puck is going. So Industry 4.0, I talk about the four superpowers, AI, mobile, cloud computing, the Internet of Things. We need to make sure we can integrate all of that into our programming so that we are relevant for that learner. And then we need to make sure that they are walking away with those 21st century skills or those essential skills, those soft skills, that they can work in teams, that they can really do critical thinking and problem solving, take initiative. You know, those are the kinds of things that employers want to see in addition to being able to turn that wrench appropriately or use that diagnostic device appropriately. Uh, so, so we need to bring up, and that's what the fast tracks do. They kind of integrate all of these into a model. That was Dr. Lee Lambert, the chancellor at Pima Community College. And that's the buzz for this week. You can get more information about the future of the Workforce Conference next week at the University of Arizona on our website, azpm.org. There you can also find all of our episodes. You can subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcast. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Samantha Larned is our production assistant. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. And our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.